Ten years ago, Mercy High School distinguished alumni Sherry Crawley was celebrating her daughter's birthday at every little Chicago girl's dream birthday party venue, the American Girl Store. There was brunch, a tea party, and attendees would get to pick from a stockroom of dolls which ones they wanted to join them for the festivities. There were four black girls, two two of which were my daughters, um, at the brunch. And one by one, each of the black girls came back with white dolls, a red-haired doll, dolls with blonde hair, blue eyes. Nobody picked the black doll. And I went back to the shelf and said, girls, no one wants to, no, mommy, we want these dolls. Nobody wants the black doll. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? How can my daughters not pick their own reflection? And to my um, dismay, the only black doll that was even an option was a free slave. Sherry was heartbroken. Her precious little four and five-year-old girls, regardless of how hard she had worked to imbue them with confidence, were being fed a different story that led them to doubt their inherent dignity. This is not a museum. This is a doll. This is a doll store. They're having a birthday party, and they found it fit to take the most painful part of our history as Black people and give it back to not only us but our children as doll play where the little girl was a slave the book was about her um there was a scene where the slave master was stuffing worms down her mouth because she didn't pick the worms out of the cotton it was just it was just i was just shocked and appalled sherry and her husband had worked diligently to normalize stories of heroic inspiring successful people of color for their daughters they themselves were a testament to this Sherry feared that this other narrative could be or would be more powerful unless she herself did something about it. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. Find all episodes at DetroitCatholic.com or subscribe to Detroit Stories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. In 2010, Sherry Crawley was a successful social entrepreneur living in Chicago with her husband and two daughters. She and her husband, Corey, owned their business and lived in a penthouse on Michigan Avenue. It was a far cry from her Detroit upbringing and everything her mother, a former educator and school counselor, was thrilled to see come to fruition. But it ended up being her mother that called her back to her former Motown roots. My mother was a... um a school educator, she was a school counselor, she was also a motivational speaker, an author, a poet, and just an amazing human being that really promoted living life from the inside out. And unfortunately, in 2010, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And um, God just told me, just woke me up and I could hear it clear as day, like, you know, go back home, take care of your mom. To get home as quickly as possible, Sherry, Corey, and her four- and five-year-old daughters left the penthouse, their thriving careers, and landed with no employment in a Detroit suburb Sherry knew nothing about. As her mother ailed and eventually passed in that year, Sherry was overwhelmed by how many people her mom's life had touched. I experienced so many people in the community sharing with me how much she um, impacted their lives, and it caused me to think, what will people tell their my daughters about their mom? What will be my legacy? How will I continue to keep 
this type of impact going? What will people tell their my daughters about their mom? What will be my legacy? How will I continue to keep this type of impact going? It's one thing to make a living. It's another thing to make a difference. And so I was really clear that I needed to do both simultaneously, whatever I However, we reinvented ourselves as we were looking to start careers with the relocation, but also um, that that was now, it's not like, okay, I'm going to secure myself financially um, and do something and then help others. It was like, nope, we have to do them at the same time. Sherry and her husband prayerfully discerned every day what work God could be calling them to. Meanwhile, the girls settled into their new normal. Then we ended up relocating back to Detroit, but ended up in the suburbs. I grew up in the city of Detroit, but this particular suburb was right outside, 25 minutes outside of Detroit, but the population was only 1% African-American. And I didn't even look at any of that when I was just trying to get here close, to get close to my mom, just got here quickly. Sherry's daughter started kindergarten and was surprised to find she was the only black girl in her class. And even though she was 10 levels above the next child, Academically, her self-esteem like plummeted overnight. She went from really bubbly and excited to learn to being withdrawn, not wanting me to leave her. Sharing you a bit about what that felt like. At the time she went to Mercy, she was one of the only Black girls in the school. So I understood how to make my, my voice be heard and I knew who I was. But in kindergarten, it was like, you know, taking a toll. But during that process, my husband and I really just started having conversations behind the scenes about how, you know, no matter what we were instilling in our daughters about their self-worth, that because there are such harmful messages on television and in the toy industry, like the doll scenario that we went through, um, and on magazine covers, these harmful European standards of beauty that are projected upon the whole world. And if you're a, a brown girl, like, what is the message? And so we are big on, you know, unfolding and connecting the dots of what God is trying to do. So I'm like, there's something with this. And one day during these conversations, I heard my husband wake my daughters up for school. Good morning, my pretty brown girl. And he, when he said it, I just, felt it in my spirit. I'm like, wow. Sherry Googled the name to see if the domain was available. Any search she made resulted in nothing but pornography. And my husband said, you should purchase the website. Four days later, Sherry bought the domain, trademarked it, and had a business plan. Inspired by the experience with her daughters at the American Girl Store, the plan was to create a line of dolls and other products for girls of color. She had their eyes set on Shark Tank, traveling the country to gain enough support to launch the line officially. But first, she had to share the vision with her very own Detroit. She and Corey planned an event at the Charles Wright Museum. We didn't do any marketing, and we didn't even have the products. We didn't even have the dolls yet. And we put our kids' the faces on a flyer and called the Pretty Brown Girl Movement. The Crawley showed up 45 minutes before the event with 50 chairs to set up. What they anticipated would be more than enough for a word of mouth event. When they walked up, there was a line of people wrapped around the base of the museum waiting to get in. 700 people showed up at this event. We were like, what? All these people are here. We don't even have the product yet. 
but we were feeling a need that we didn't even know wasn't being fulfilled because there were no platforms to address the subtext of what girls of color, the conversations that ensued were women, grown women with tears in their eyes telling us, I wish this was around when I was growing up and sharing the stories and experiences of what, um, of, you know, of, of not feeling like you belong or not feeling like you fit in and not feeling like from, you know, from your body shape to your hair to your skin texture and everything else, you know, um, and how the world sees us. And they kept saying, well, how do we join? And we're like, no, you don't, it doesn't work like that. You're going to buy the products and, you know, order something online and send us a picture and we're going to be like people on Shark Tank. Like that was our whole goal. That was our thought process. But the question became a constant refrain from people as Sherry and Corey traveled the country promoting Pretty Brown Girl. It became really increasingly obvious that there's there is a bigger need here and so i decided to just say okay they pivoted and created a club model for community that would educate girls of color and encourage self-acceptance and social emotional and intellectual well-being moms would operate as volunteers and start their own club girls would get memberships similar to the girl scouts they made a club guide with activities a pledge and a curriculum And what started as a line of pretty brown dolls became a movement, a sisterhood of pretty brown girls. Within only 18 months, the movement's membership soared with over 200 chapters formed across the U.S. It was literally just, we were like, wow, what? (laughs) We didn't expect it, but it was really something that showed us that respond to people, like, you know, be in a position of servitude to just say, how can we use, again, our talents and and gifts in a way that will, will make a difference for others. Since their formation 11 years ago, they have established over 500 chapters. Over 30,000 girls have gone through their after-school program. Last summer, they awarded over 51 black and brown girls scholarships to historically black colleges and universities in Sherry's mother's honor. There have been death threats and slandering of Sherry and her family members and a host of skeptics. But for those that may wonder why a movement like Sherry's exists or sees it as an impediment to integration, she relates her own experience, her own naivete, when it comes to expecting even her daughter's insecurities. We were those parents that were very intentional from birth to make sure, and even still our kids went into American Girl and picked, you know, all white out. So it's, it's, it's dismantling a lot of the, um, you know, false narratives that have been fed to them subconsciously, subliminally, and overtly to be able to have it. So we found the best thing is the dialogue and the conversations and educating on, you know, who, who, that, the value of who we are. The reality is that girls of color get talked about quite a lot. We hear harmful statistics about high school dropout rates, suspensions, higher rates of poverty, abuse, and teen pregnancy. When the number of missing girls of color on the news eclipses the number of Amanda Gorman's and Simone Biles of the world, it's nearly impossible for a girl to grow up unaffected by the giant weight of biases. It it really is about communication and um, dialogue, intellectual discourse, even at young ages 
to not overlook or think that it's not time to bring these types of things up because it was time. But we had to have these harder conversations with our children to make sure that when they're the age they are now, that they, and we were trying to see if they're okay and what happened, that they're okay. Because at the point when we would be able to fully ask them, it would have been too late. <laughs> they would have, you know, they're still telling us things, but because we gave a platform and a voice and were intentional about the outcome, we were able to um, navigate that process. But even Sherry's daughters fell prey to the narratives. And most girls of color don't have national nonprofit founding parents who've made empowering them their life mission. It's those girls that Sherry is determined to give role models, respites to ask questions and open up, and a place to be told, even if they don't hear it anywhere else, that they have inherent dignity and they are beautiful. And, you know, that's our message to girls is just, you know, um, for them to walk into their greatness and for them to be able to hear from God what he is calling them to do. One of the newest chapters of Pretty Brown Girl is also the first one to be at a Catholic school. And it's at none other than Sherry's alma mater, Mercy High School. Once a Mercy girl, always a Mercy girl. This is Tracy Smith, the first director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Mercy High School. Um, we have a very, a pretty diverse uh, student body. Um, we have uh, closest to well over 600 students, maybe 630 students this year. Um, we are a predominantly white high school. However, our African-American population is in the high teens, like 16%. It actually is a little bit higher than, than, than the American population. We have um, Asian students. We have Chaldean students. We have, um, I think that's about it, a, a few Native American students as well. Um, but yeah, and our students come from over 50 different communities. Some of our students come from the city of Detroit, some come from Oakland County, some come from rural communities. So we pull from literally over 50 different communities. So our kids come from all over and under mercy, they unite in a very unique sisterhood, a diverse sisterhood. You know, mercy brings them all together. Part of Tracy's job is to interface with Mercy alumni, which is how she found out that Sherry Crawley was actually a Mercy graduate. When I was told about this, I was like, oh my gosh, we have to get a chapter here at Mercy. She contacted Sherry, who of course was thrilled, especially to get a club in a Catholic school. The nice thing is, is that our curriculum, the way it was designed was, is Christian based, but you know, within public schools, you can't mention God's name. So it's, it's, it's a, a beautiful thing where we don't have to leave God out when we're talking to the girls at Mercy because we can, you know, um, to be able to have the full-blown conversation as opposed to coming, you know, saying everything but God's name. Mercy's club last year had 17 members from all four grades. It was a unique year because of COVID. Most of the group's meetings were conducted through Zoom, but whatever the setbacks, it was a success. This year, 35 girls want to join. 
Um, and we went over uh, mental health topics, actually, because that's what the girls were interested in going over. This is Aisha Cunningham, a school counselor and facilitator of Mercy's Pretty Brown Girl Club. So we talked about anxiety. We talked about grief. We talked about toxic relationships and heartbreak. Um, we talked about eating disorders and body image. So we talked about a range of things um, that covered mental health. They loved it. They were uh, started off kind of like, you know, shy and not wanting to turn their cameras on. And eventually, you know, all the cameras are turned on. Um, if I called on the girl, they, um, you know, turned on their microphone and talked. Um, so the dynamic shifted the more the, uh, they got comfortable with me and with each other. The members of the club not only reap the benefits of community where they can seek out role models of color together, they find themselves in the midst of them. One member was salutatorian last year. Another organized a service project to collect toiletries for a women's shelter. One is a Martin Luther King Jr. essay contest winner. And another is the recipient of one of Sherry's college scholarships. I'm Alexis Roberts. I've been with like involved in Pretty Brown Girl for many years before high school. It was ironic because um, I was really excited that Pretty Brown Girl kind of came at, to, to Mercy. It kind of makes you feel like you belong and you feel comfortable. The one space where you um, are 100%, like you can be yourself. And it can build your confidence. It can build your leadership skills and just build your communication skills in all like areas of your life. And definitely can be like a platform for you to grow. Because she was a Pretty Brown Girl veteran, she thought she knew what to expect from the club but was surprised how the club at Mercy actually stretched her to talk to people she may have otherwise missed out on. Well, I've kind of been able to first build connections with a lot of other like black and brown girls at my school that I didn't really talk to or didn't really know like in different grades. And so really learn about their stories and about their lives. I, I wouldn't have never gotten the opportunity to do that. And additionally, like it gave me an opportunity to earn like definitely like meet, I don't know, meet other like black, uh, black and brown people who have been successful. And so kind of kind of getting, getting their stories and kind of being inspiration to me. For Alexis, probably no inspiration is more tangible than the woman from her alma mater who helped make going to college a reality. A woman whose own story is a testament to the benefit of schools like Mercy and clubs like Pretty Brown Girl. I don't want to forget that Sherry Crowley, the founder, is a Mercy alum. And so it just shows you the type of value that our society gets when we pour into young women and women of color. Sherry Crowley was poured into here at Mercy, and now she is taking the gifts and experiences and values that she has as a result of that and giving it to young ladies across the nation and the world now as a result of Pretty Brown Girl. I think a lot of times when people can sometimes get upset when there are clubs specifically for students of color, young women of color, even just things for women specifically, right? Because people look at it like a like it's a, a pie and <laughs> there's only certain, these amount of pieces, if you take a piece, that means I won't have as much. But I don't view it like that. When young women, and specifically young women of color, are able to thrive and be their best, our 
society thrives. When they are not thriving, our society is missing out. We're losing out on this treasure trove of intelligence, compassion, passion, and just just good, the goodness that they can bring if they are not allowed to actualize their best selves. And I think clubs like Pretty Brown Girls helps that to be cultivated. And I can say Mercy as a community thrives and is enriched by that. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.